Good morning. Welcome this amazing Christ the King Sunday to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. It's nice to see each of you here. A couple reminders uh, before the service begins. First, as a gift to yourself and your neighbor, we always invite you to silence your phones. Next, we continue to observe COVID precautions, so please, if you are receiving communion at the rail, uh, be sure to use sanitizer beforehand. We also have masks and communables for you in the narthex if you wish to receive communion from your pew. Today's message borrows from a phrase used by the god Loki in the Marvel Universe franchise, glorious purpose. I'm going to talk about how God's glorious purpose is ours too. I invite you now please to rise as you are able for our gathering hymn, Jesus Shall Reign, number 434 in the Red Hymnal.
Our service begins with the apostolic greeting found on page two of your bulletin. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God of power and might, your Son shows us the way of service, and in him we inherit the riches of your grace. Give us the wisdom to know what is right, and the strength to serve the world you have made, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
The first reading for Christ the King Sunday is from Ezekiel chapter 34. Because Israel's kings proved to be bad shepherds, Ezekiel declares that the Lord will assume the role of shepherd in Israel. The Lord will also set over them a shepherd Messiah, my servant David, who will feed and care for the people. A reading from the book of Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks, when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places in which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses, and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you pushed with flank and shoulder and buttered at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. The psalmody is spoken responsively. I will read the odd verses. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. For you, Lord, are a great God and a great ruler above all gods. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. For the Lord is our God. The second reading is from Ephesians. And if you like to follow along in written text, this is not on the back of the bulletin, so you'll have to look it up in the Bible in front of you. In this passage, God is praised for revealing ultimate divine power in raising Jesus from the dead. The resurrected, exalted Christ is Lord of both the church and the entire universe, now and in the age to come. A reading from the letter to the I'm sorry, Ephesians. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your, Lord, and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you, as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and, and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, 
you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you this morning and peace from God, the Creator, and from Jesus, God's Son, the source of life in the world. Amen. Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday of the church year. Over the last few years, I have preached on several themes with regard to Christ the King, including the origin of this festival, which uh, Pope Pius VI uh, declared back in 1925 as a response to the tyranny and to the nationalism that Europe had experienced during the First World War. What Pius was after, it would seem, is a way of showing the contrast between Christ the King who serves and the Caesars of this world who serve themselves to the people's destruction. I've also in this context talked about Christ as the good shepherd. According to the 10th chapter of John, there we hear of Christ and how he leads uh, his sheep to life, whereas false messiahs lead their followers to death. There is great testimony of this according to the book of Acts, chapter 5, which speaks of Gamaliel. You know the name Gamaliel? He was Paul's teacher. In this case, he's defending Paul and Peter uh, from persecution. This is what he says to his fellow Pharisees. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That is, Paul, Peter, followers of the way. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared." After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these followers of the way and let them alone. Because if this plan or this understanding is of human origin, it will fail But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. We are proof here that Gamaliel was right. These false messiahs, Theodos and Judas the Galilean, led by way of violent sedition their their followers to destruction. We have confirmation of this outside the Bible according to the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian who lived in the latter part of the first century. That was my focus over the years on this Sunday. 
Today, however, I want to do something different. I want to focus on the first reading instead of the gospel. And here's why. This was ready-made for a Lutheran preacher. It is chock full of good news or promises concerning the restoration of the people. So we'll focus on that as ready-made for a Lutheran reading, which always prioritizes the gospel. And at first glance, it's quite clear that we find lots of it in this Old Testament reading. Let's take a look. Go ahead and flip your bulletin over if you wish and follow along. I want you to hear the promises of God or the good news that God through the prophet is announcing to the people. Thus says the Lord God, verse 1, I myself will search for my sheep. Again, verse 12, I will rescue them. Again, verse 13, I will bring them out into their own land. Again, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Again, verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. Again, verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Again, I will make them lie down, which is to say, I will give them rest. I will seek the lost. And again, I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. This is our God. Each of these is a promise. Each of these is a declaration of good news, and each of these can become the word of God when we hear that good news for ourselves. When the Bible speaks to us directly, as if it is saying, I will search you out. I will feed you. I will be your shepherd. All promises, as it were, spoken to us. But clues in the text show us that Ezekiel has a very different audience in mind. And to get to that understanding of this different audience, we have to look at the text in context. Ezekiel wrote his prophecies according to the new annotated Oxford Bible Commentary, and his followers edited, expanded, and preserved them in the 6th century B.C. in Babylon during the exile of the Judeans from their homeland. The exile thus forms the historical context of the book, and at several points, particularly in the allegory in chapter 17, Ezekiel refers to the Babylonian subjugation of Judah. What's going on here? In the 6th century BCE, the Judeans, who comprised one of the two remaining tribes of Israel, the other ten had been lost or decimated, depending on the account you choose to, to pursue. They were killed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are basically Isis of the 8th century BCE, who were famous for beheading their prisoners, just as Isis had done. In the 6th century, the two remaining southern tribes are left, and the Babylonians come through and conquer them and then send them into exile. What I didn't know is that there were actually two phases of this exile. Listen closely. 
The Babylonians, in an escalating response to the continued efforts of the Judeans to throw them off, exiled the Judeans in two phases, spaced about a decade apart. They first besieged Jerusalem, who died, uh, uh, which fell in 597. When the Babylonians took over the city, along with most of the Judean ruling class, they were exiled to Babylon. Babylon installed a puppet king, Zedekiah, when he too attempted to rebel, they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, deposed the rest of the rulers, and exiled much of the population except the poorest to Babylon in 586. So, step back, two phases of the exodus, or I'm sorry, the exile. The first, the elites of the culture, those in power, they're sent away in 597 after Jerusalem is overcome. The next, uh, the remaining people, with the exception of the poorest, in 586. The Jews really upset the Babylonians. And even when the Babylonians tried to establish a puppet king, they still, uh, they still rebelled, led by the very king the, the Babylonians uh, put in power. Ezekiel, the prophet, was the f among the first group of exiles taken to Babylon in 597. So there's the backstory. Let's return now to the first reading and reread it with that context in mind to see how it changes or adds to what we saw earlier. Thus says the Lord God. Now I think here of people in exile from their homeland. I myself will search for my sheep. I will rescue them. Verse 13. I will bring them out, and notice that the uh, two sentences down, into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel. So notice the specific references to Israel as part of the promise. The people who have been held in exile, in this case for 50 years, uh, will be uh, redeemed and released by God to return to their homeland, where God will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down, which again means I will give them rest. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Each of these people are people who have been uh, um, taken by the Babylonians into exile. The promises indicate the audience. Text shows us that Ezekiel has a different audience in mind, as we have now seen. The conclusion is simple. Ezekiel is not writing for us. All of that to get to that point. Ezekiel is not writing for us. He's writing for a people whose social, political, and economic situation differs vastly from presumably every person in this room, myself included. We are the middle class or the upper middle class. And the people to whom God is speaking in Israel would have been the people, the dispossessed, the weak, those who suffered because of exile. So a very different audience with a very different focus. If anything, the people in our income bracket and above are tempted to become the very people the prophet denounces in verse 16b and 20. So b is the second half of the verse. Take a look. 
but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. And then again, verse 20, therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. So who are the fat sheep? Those are the haves. Who are the people to whom these promises are made? The have-nots. This is why these promises are not directly spoken to us. They are spoken to the people of the land, the people who, who sought material prosperity. This is material, therefore, good news. This is also why chapters 33 to 48 in Ezekiel are called the prophecies of restoration, which I love. They're meant to give hope to a people that had been estranged from their homeland as they now return uh, to, uh, to repopulate the land and rebuild their temple. So, really interesting history lesson, Pastor Dan. But how do today's readings actually apply to us? Let's take a look once more at our gospel reading for today now. Matthew 25. Here you find the same thing. The gap between the rich and the poor, the latter of which are also experiencing persecution as followers of Christ in the 80s when Matthew wrote this gospel. Notice verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus here might just as well be saying, I was a have not and you helped me have. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now notice verse 40, what I would call an oracle of judgment. And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. So now to whom is Jesus speaking? He's speaking again to the haves, the people who have the material resources and availability to seek out and care for those who are less fortunate. This oracle of judgment mirrors Ezekiel verse 16 and 20, which we just read. Turns out, Ezekiel 34, 16, and 20, as well as Matthew 25 and 45, were written for us. I was wrong. I disagree with myself. And if you live alone like I do, you start finding yourself disagreeing with yourself all the time. And I probably shouldn't be telling you that I talk to myself on occasion as well. Inside voice, outside voice, back to the message. These verses serve as a reminder to each of us that genuine faith involves actions like caring for other people, period. They are a warning that judgment comes upon us when we fail to translate our faith into good news for our neighbors in need. Martin Luther once said that good works aren't necessary for salvation. No one need earn God to earn God's love. They are, however, necessary. And they should break forth, Luther says, when faith is right. And those of you, uh, several of you who were in my confirmation class will recall this is the focus of Luther in the small catechism. Not simply seeing the Ten Commandments as things 
forbidden, but rather as opportunities to serve and look out for your neighbor, particularly the second half of the Ten Commandments. Of course, it's not only our neighbor who needs help, and this is the big controversy. God needs our help too. Now, we belong to a theological tradition that does not simply speak of God up there, all-powerful, ruling from above. Instead, we begin at the foot of the cross, where we discover that most of the things we expected or thought about God were wrong. That instead of God revealing God's self in glory, power, and might, God comes to us hidden in suffering and vulnerability, out of which God brings new life. It's because of that we can, that we can talk, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians, about the weakness of God, about how God in Christ, according to uh, Philippians, emptied himself, or again, became poor, according to 2 Corinthians 8. This is a God who has humbled God's self to join us, but who at the same time needs our help. Justice doesn't simply happen on its own. In Matthew 25, Jesus invites us to help God so that God's kingdom may come. How? Take a look at verse 35 once more. For I was hungry and you gave me food. This helps God. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. This helps God. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. All of these things by helping the neighbor helps God realize God and our glorious purpose. We are here to serve. We are the hands and feet of God bringing about God's kingdom in the world. Note as well here, you took care of me. In Pentecostal churches, the emphasis is often on spiritual gifts that involve speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues. What we often miss is that Paul refers to forms of assistance or taking care of others as a spiritual gift, which is why I believe we have the Spirit working among us today in a growing visitation team and in very capable leadership uh, before under Connie and, to, and now under Peggy, as we move forward to care for others as Jesus invites us to do in today's gospel. This is kingdom work. Jewish mysticism has another name for it. They refer to it as tikkun alam, which is to say that when God created the world, something went wrong. The world, as it were, fell from God. The task of human beings, then, is to be a co-redeemer with God by mending and repairing a broken cosmos through acts of service toward others. The ELCA, our denomination, has another phrase for it, the slogan, God's work, our hands. This, it turns out, is actually the best news. We are already doing kingdom work at Queen Anne Lutheran Church. Let me reread once more Matthew 16, 35, and then invite you to think of examples of how we do these things in and through this ministry. For I was hungry and you gave me food. We support Queen Anne Helpline. We support Queen Anne Food Bank. We volunteer for the community luncheon in Capitol Hill to serve the unhoused. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
We have a discretionary fund that many of you have donated to generously that helps me provide meals and uh, keep people housed. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. Some of you know Barb Koziel. She knitted over 150 hats for uh, those experiencing homeless, homelessness to wear. That's incredible. She is part of the kingdom fulfillment or God's glorious purpose. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Are there other ways that you can think of when it comes to how Queen Anne Lutheran is already doing kingdom work? I'm sure there are many. We think, for example, of our quilting ministry. We think, for example, of youth activities ahead, including green restoration, as well as a bake sale to raise money, perhaps for Lutheran disaster relief. All of these things are ways that we help our neighbor, and through helping our neighbor, help God. Through us, God is fulfilling God's glorious purpose for life on earth. Through us, God is feeding the hungry. Through us, God is giving them something to drink. Through us, God is welcoming the stranger. Through us, God is clothing the naked. Through us, God is tending to those who are sick. And through us, God visits those in captivity. This is why I became a pastor. It wasn't for the money and fame, as many people like to say. That's just a little joke I threw in. But uh, the fame is true. But um, it, it wasn't for anything like that. It was to be part of a deliberate, intentional community that wants to make a difference in the lives of other people. In words attributed to Bonhoeffer, real Christianity means sharing one another's pain. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, bearing one another's burdens. Or again, in the words of the Apostle Paul, doing good to all people. I don't expect to change the world, but I would like to make a slight difference. And with you, I can make an even greater difference. Filled by the Spirit, isn't that what you want too? To make a difference? To have a share of God's glorious purpose? To be a co-redeemer with God? Well, as it turns out, today's first reading, and especially Matthew 25, do speak to us. I was wrong, but not like I originally thought. In these verses of challenge, God says to us, rise up. God says, I will empower you. I will strengthen you. I will enable you to live for others so that others may live and my kingdom may come. And in the process, and this is the good news for us, we discover that we are being freed to give and do so generously. Freed from the addiction to wealth, the love of money, the lure of mammon, the gluttony and greed that enslaves and dominates so many of our contemporaries. We are called to a different life, we are called to freedom, and we realize that freedom through acts of service and generous giving. Incidentally, the sin of gluttony is not simply loading your plate with too much food, which I did on Thanksgiving. I hope you did as well. It was worth it. I'm now five pounds heavier. That's okay. But it's more about people who hoarded 
things in the ancient world and who did so at the expense and well-being of others. For theirs, as Paul says, is the God of the belly. But to us, God says, I am your God. I am your purpose. I am in Christ and I am your king. All God's people said, amen.
For those of you who are visiting or new to this expression of worship, an explanation of the Apostles' Creed is printed in your bulletin. Let us now confess the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. the prayers of the church, you are invited to be seated or kneel, whichever you prefer. Let us turn our hearts to God, our breath and life, as we pray for the church, the world, and all who are in need. Holy God, from Christ we receive our call to feed, clothe, and help all those in need. May your church respond to this call with generosity. We pray for the work of ELCA World Hunger, ELCA Disaster Relief, Lutheran World Relief, and all their partners in global relief. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In Christ, Lord of the new creation, we are brought into union with all things. We praise you for mountains and plains, for seas and rivers, for jungles and deserts, for all the plants and animals that inhabit this earth. Help us protect what you have created. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In Christ, we know merciful judgment. Guide rulers of every nation away from oppression and tyranny. Help, aid, and relief come to all who are cut off by war and conflict, especially those living in Palestine and Ukraine. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In Christ, we feel the depth of your love and care towards us. Nourish all who hunger. Connect all who feel isolated and surround all who experience rejection or abuse. We pray for those who suffer from addiction of whatever kind that you free them to choose life in your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In Christ, we are called to serve those less fortunate. Inspire the outreach and social ministries of this congregation. We pray for all people who serve and attend to the needs of others. We thank those who help with such programs as Community Lunch on Capitol Hill, New Horizons, providing quilts and kits for Lutheran World Relief. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For whom or what else do the people of God pray today?
Hear our prayer. We pray for Lottie, my co-worker Scott's granddaughter, who is diagnosed with a brain tumor this week. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Holy God, we pray for each person gathered here today. We thank you for the spirit that led them to worship. We ask a blessing upon them that you be with them in their joys as well as their sorrows. We pray especially for Kyle as he recovers, for Barb's eldest, Tom, as he recovers from surgery. We pray for Mary for successful surgery and recovery, for John and family in in memory of his mother, Mary. We pray for Megan's sister, Elizabeth, for Dalen. We pray for Andrew and family in memory of their mother, Reva. We pray for Charlene, for Samuel, for the family of Bill and Janet, for Lisa's husband, Scott, for Bill Kavanaugh, for Dotsie, for Heidi, for Dennis, for the family of Pat, the family of Dan. We pray for Matt's mother, Jeannie, for Chris, Jackie, for the Ritchie family, for Pat, her sister Donna, and niece Kathleen. We pray for Finley, for Richard, Awatash Mulugeta, Jean, Jan, Richard, Barb, Denny, Hildy, Mary, Carol, and Lisa. And we pray for Meg as, uh, and her father as uh, he recovers. Uh, be with him, be the power of healing to him, and empower Meg in whatever way she can to be there for her father. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Holy God, in the risen Christ, you show us the beginning of new life, no longer bound by death and disease. Grant us hope in the darkest hour that your invincible love can reach beyond even the grave. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We offer our spoken prayers and those held in our hearts, trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please rise as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection, open to us the way of everlasting life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, as we prepare ourselves for this holy act of sharing, let us pray as Jesus teaches our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil. Kingdom, power, and the glory of God. Now in As a fundamental expression of this congregation's ministry, all are welcome to the table. If you wish to receive a blessing in place of the bread and the wine, simply fold your arms. You are also welcome to receive momentarily from the pew if you have a communable. An explanation of the Eucharist is to be found in the bulletin, Come and Taste the Joy of God. For those communing in their pews, this is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. You may be seated.
Please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. Lord Jesus, in this simple meal you have set a banquet. Sustain us on the journey, strengthen us to care for the least of your beloved children, and give us glad and generous hearts as we meet you on the way. Amen. Please be seated for announcements. Welcome once more to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. As I stand here this morning, I can't help but feel gratitude. Gratitude to be your pastor, gratitude for this community, gratitude for all the things you do, gratitude for our various volunteers, including Amy, who stood in for Altar Guild today, as well as our counters and ushers and assisting ministers. I also want to thank uh, Martha Freitag for joining us once more today. Uh, we are blessed to have her presence and playing. Uh, Kyle will return uh, this coming week. He is recovering uh, and told me he could eat just about everything on the Thanksgiving table, which is short of what I did. I almost ate the whole table. <laughs> That's my own thing. Um, wanted to say a few things about uh, uh, announcements uh, as follows. Number one, our worship, as you know, continues with uh, coffee hour at 1030 uh, after 10.30 service, so please join us. Uh, coffee hour today is no host. Special thanks to any who share treats or make coffee. Uh, next, I wanted to thank our foreign presenter, Sarah, uh, professor at Seattle Pacific University. She joins us today with her husband and family. We are delighted to have you here, and we are thankful for the wonderfully clear and articulate presentation you gave. These last two forums were made possible by one of our members, uh, Matt, um, Dr. Bellinger from uh, Seattle Pacific University, uh, who uh, initiated the conversation and invited both Alyssa and Sarah to join us. This is what we're all about, creating a space where people can come together, ask the tough questions, find out not only both sides, that's another journalistic bias, but all sides to a problem and perhaps consider potential solutions. So thank you uh, to Matt as well for that. Next Sunday, we turn to the uh, topic of Afghan and Ukraine refugees from the perspective of Lutheran Community Services. That will be from 9 to 10 uh, next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, the 10th, we had a scheduling conflict, and the speaker uh, was not, will not be able to join us for that. So what we've decided is to go ahead and turn that into an opportunity for fellowship. So between services on the 10th, you are invited to join us in the conference room to sign Christmas cards uh, that will be given out to uh, our various homebound members uh, with poinsettias. Again, uh, as a Matthew 25 Christian, this is another opportunity to give in a small way and make a difference in the life uh, or lives of others. So please, if you can, join us for that. We will also have cards on display for you to sign. Special thanks there to Susan for providing the thank you cards. Uh, this coming Tuesday is the last opportunity to help serve community lunch on Capitol Hill. 
Uh, we are blessed to have Jim Margard lead uh, the Social Action Committee, which does exactly the kind of work I was talking about in today's message. So uh, if anybody is interested or able to do that, uh, please contact Jim. Also, I uh, want to thank uh, Liz Major for um, putting together Thank God It's Thursday. Uh, that will be this week, Thursday, November 30th. All are invited to meet for dinner at 6 p.m. at Thai Fusion in Lower Queen Anne. Or I guess it's not, you can't say Lower Queen Anne, I was told. I was corrected. You have to say Uptown. I'm like, no, you're Lower Queen Anne. I mean, it just, it, it's what? It's on Nickerson. What does it say here? Did I say something else? I probably did. Uh, okay, on Nickerson Street, Yes. Uh, no agenda, apparently. Uh, usually we have agendas in our fellowship opportunities, but none here. Uh, please join us. Uh, several years ago, coming out of the pandemic, when I received uh, my annual evaluation, the big push was for fellowship opportunities, and now we have more, more of those. And by the way, anybody who can bake cookies, I'm thinking maybe uh, um, someone named Jenna, or maybe someone like Amy, uh, who uh, maybe Ingrid, um, somebody who uh, can like, likes and can bake cookies, that would be great to have as we sign Christmas cards on the 10th. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, thank you for going ahead and doing that. Um, all right, uh, just one or two more things. Uh, Saturday Morning Seekers, this is an exciting new group that has been started. It's the first Saturday of each month. It meets from 930 to 11, please join us or invite others who find themselves interested in the big questions of faith. Uh, and then finally, uh, next, I'm sorry, yeah, December 3rd, next Sunday, will be a Q&A session with me. Why? Because on September 1st of this coming year, I will be going to Princeton Theological Seminary as a visiting scholar for three months. This has been um, um, agreed upon by the council and a lot of hard work on the part of Brent and Myra and others. The, uh, the session here will be Q&A. Two-thirds of this uh, time away will be my continuing education and one month of remaining sabbatical. We'll talk more about details then. We'll also be joined by another pastor who is away from his ministry not three months, but two years as the Holden Village pastor. So he too will help us navigate this brief time that I am away. I do not plan to stay away. As I said before, you are stuck with me. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Please. Oh, okay. <laughs>
It will be. It will be. Next Sunday at 1 on December 3rd. Okay, so that will, that will conflict with, uh, so people will have to make a decision. That will conflict with my Q&A session. Maybe you could come to part of that and go to, the, go to this function. No, you don't get the same room as I do. I get the fellowship hall all to myself. <laughs> um, Next Sunday is quite busy. We also have between services the uh, Advent celebration, fellowship food and crafts from 9 to 10.15 in the fellowship hall. I do want to say something finally to share some good news, and I do so humbly. Um, I was at a conference in San Antonio this, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, and I gave a paper on artificial intelligence, and I uh, have never had a paper so well received after uh, our presentations were done, I had three people come up to me and ask me if I'd be willing to publish this paper as part of their book, as part of their anthology, or as a journal article. And what I, the reason I mention that is because this is another way for me to help us get Queen Anne Lutheran Church's name out there. So I'm looking for many more of those opportunities, and I hope you do the same. As I, I often say, we are the best kept secret on the hill. Let us uh, rise now then for uh, the closing blessing. As Matthew 25 Christians, we leave this sanctuary to re-enter a world that is in need of healing and hope. Be an ambassador of Christ to this world. Be Christ to your neighbor. Receive the benediction accordingly. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Amen. Our sending hymn, O Christ, What Can It Mean for Us, is number 431 in the Red Hymnal.